Today, we are talking about Associate Professor Jessica Krug coming out as a white Jewish female and what it means to take up spaces in life and in sport. Is it a warped allyship or something deeper? Is her performance as a black Caribbean woman from the Bronx an act of violence? After the break, we'll think aloud about Professor Krug and people like her who take up too much space. I'm Dr. Shauna Payne-Gold, and I go by she, her, her pronouns. And I'm Dr. Lisa Ingefield, and I go by she, her, hers. Welcome to Unfazed, a podcast to disrupt your normal and challenge your brain to go the distance. Lisa, I need help. I, I need help understanding how a white female's brain works to think that it's okay to take on a woman of color's identity. I, I don't understand it. I, I have no idea how this actually makes sense to any human being, but we're talking about a white woman right now. Help me figure this out. Oh, <laughs> Shauna, I'm not sure that I can uh, help you figure that out. I don't, I don't understand it myself. I don't know that I am a emissary for all white women. Um, actually feel a lot of shame um, from my, my group um, about what, what has transpired or what has come to light over the last couple of days. Why don't you um, share a little bit more with our listeners, listeners about what you're talking about? Yes. Yeah, so Lisa, remember when we were first uh, birthing this brainchild here of what we would talk about on our podcast, and I responded back to you that, you know what, we're not going to have a shortage in stories, in conversations, in topics, current events that come up. And that's exactly what happened. Um, in one of our conversations, right before we recorded, uh, Chadwick Bozeman passed away. And then right before we're recording today, unfortunately, um, we have a associate professor at my alma mater, the George Washington University. Her name is Jessica Krug, if I'm pronouncing it correctly who has been portraying herself as a black woman who has outed herself on medium saying that she is not. Um, in fact, she is Jewish and white. And I'm just thinking through because I've been a student at GW, I've been a lecturer at GW, and I'm just thinking about all of the student relationships, faculty, colleague relationships, staff relationships that basically have <laughs> fallen apart based on this big confession. And this person misrepresented herself, uh, claimed that she was Caribbean and black, uh, and then disclosed it. And, and the disclosure to me was so curious because it was, this is what I've done. I'm not asking or, or apologizing. So I'm not asking for forgiveness because this is something that should be unforgivable. So I'm not quite sure what I'm doing. I'm just throwing this out there. And it is such a curious thing because we've seen this play out before. We've seen the Rachel Dolezal, which I'm imagining that she is cringing somewhere because she's probably thinking I've been out of the news for a while and now I'm right back in, not uh, mm -hmm. at all due to anything that I've done, but now I'm right back in. And I just see it as so fascinating that we have this issue that people seem to take up space in places where they shouldn't. Yeah. Yeah, definitely taking up space. Um, but when you say people taking up space in places they shouldn't, I feel like that's primarily white people, men, straight people, the folks who have the privilege are the ones taking up the space um, that they shouldn't. And I think that, you know, 
she, oh, I almost don't even have words <laughs> when I saw <laughs> the um, articles flying this morning about it. And I did read her letter prior to coming on this recording. And you're right. Like part of me wonders to what end is she making this public acknowledgement? Um, mm-hmm. I, I, I mean, I don't profess to understand um, the psychology of it. It just seems odd to me because yes, she didn't offer an apology because she recognized that what she has done is unforgivable. So there was no expectation of people accepting her apology. She also didn't offer any um, kind of steps about how she was going to repair the harm that she had done. So it felt a bit self, so it's not self-congratulatory because she definitely was not congratulating Mm -hmm. herself, but it Mm -hmm. still Mm -hmm. felt like, she was taking up space without any attendant thought to what now? Like she just kind of mm-hmm. like dumped it out there and then are, is expecting her colleagues, her students, her friends, individuals who understood her to be someone she wasn't deal with that in some way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And just leaving everyone to deal with it you know, in whatever shape or form, how do you deal with it? And, you know, we can think about all the people who have to deal with it, right? So we have to think about her students that have to deal with it, the colleagues that have to deal with it, even the university that has to deal with it, because based on all that I've done as far as research, she was an associate professor. For those that are outside of higher ed space, Associate professor means that you probably were bumped up from assistant to associate, which means that you have tenure. That means that you have to do something extremely egregious, and that could be subjective, in order to lose your job and lose your salary. So the fact that she has almost uh, impervious employment at this university, where it's almost to a place where she can't get fired, is this the level of egregiousness that we need to, to have someone be fired? I think that's what's curious about it. Will, what will the university do to rectify? Because she hasn't offered any solutions to rectify. So mm-hmm. what's the university going to do to rectify? And so I, I just wonder, how do you correct those that take up too much space? How do you correct it when, you know, they're not asking for correction? They're not offering correction, but something has to be done. Yeah. I mean, I feel like George Washington is no other position than they have to fire her. Like, I just don't think there's mm-hmm. any other choice. Um, mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. the right choice. It's the ethical choice. It's the moral choice. It's the add any word you want choice, right? Like they have to. <laughs> um, uh, I, yeah. So, you know, it, it does remind me though of those conversations that we've been having both on and off air around allyship and performance. Um, yeah. You know, we talked a little bit about that in episode one and it's, it's, this is such an interesting manifestation of performance, right? Because we talked about allyship um, or, or the problems with performative allyship in that, you know, you are the number one ally for three hours a day. And then, you know, you don't mm-hmm. do anything else in the rest of your life to create any systemic change. And we made the connection, I think, to the theater, like you're putting on an outfit and then you're taking it off once the performance is done. And this is like very literally, literally, she's putting on an outfit, right? She's putting Mm -hmm. on an identity that is not hers to claim. And she has gained success and notoriety in her academic circles and in other circles that she moves in 
predicated on that identity. So it's like, is this some twisted, bizarro manifestation of her feeling that as a white person, she would be the best ally if she performed this black Caribbean identity that isn't hers because she could be a better support to communities of color. Like I am just left kind of shaking my head. Mm. I don't know. Mm. Taking an al taking allyship to this whole new level of, I I don't even want to call it toxicity because we use toxic allyship enough, but this is, I I even think it's beyond sick. You know, I I don't want to diminish the, mental health challenges of anyone. So I don't want to, and usually I don't say that certain things are based on um, psychological challenges, whether it's, oh, let's paint this person who demonstrates as a racist, they have psychological issues. I I don't want to go there with that because I don't think that's necessarily it because look at the longevity of this and how, how many conscious decisions had to be made to play this role. I mean, Mm -hmm. consciously down to hair, makeup, attire, uh, where this person lived or where the, the topics this person talked about. All of these are very conscious efforts to take on a role. And uh, I, I loved one of the, the tweets that went out that basically said that this person was so sold on their experiences. I don't even want to say as an ally, but they were so sold on a woman of color's experiences that they felt that they could demonstrate or portray the role better than actual women of color could. And to me, I'm like, that's beyond overstepping boundaries. It's beyond toxic. It's, I don't want to label it as sick, but I do want to label it as something as far as, you know, what space is this person taking up? What about the people who called out the space that was being taken up saying something is not quite right. And they were disregarded. And some of them even, you know, lost some of their own credibility or lost opportunities or were named as kind of rabble rousers in some way because they picked up on it. Mm-hmm. There, there's great loss, great loss in this. Even for the people that were trying to speak truth, they still had loss. There, there's nobody that's a winner in this situation, in my opinion. Oh, absolutely. And I think that, yeah, we definitely need to be careful and walk a fine line with, um, her own, she, she made some um, reference to an admittance of mental health struggles that she's had throughout her life. And I certainly um, don't want to conflate her behavior with mental health. Um, that was, you know, something she didn't reference very much. And so we just, we should be careful about not identifying that as the root cause. And I'm actually, as you're talking, Shauna, I'm thinking it just feels like a reproduction of white supremacy right? Like the taking up of the space, mm-hmm. the, the belief mm-hmm. that she has the right to perform this identity that is not hers, that causes mm-hmm. harm to a significant number of people who already are extremely marginalized, both inside and outside the academic environment. Yeah. Like it, yeah. it just feels like there's an entitlement to that that is so mm-hmm. very disturbing. Yeah. Yeah, it's disturbing. Well, and even when, so this, this person who is actually of uh, Jewish, um, even <laughs> the Times of Israel even reported on this story about how this is problematic, how she even labels herself as a culture leech, for example. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, to me, I'm, I'm thinking to myself, this is what many have called uh, violence, violence mm-hmm. and thievery and 
beyond appropriation. I think it is appropriation, but beyond appropriation at this point. Um, and just looking back at how many people have lost, they, they were losers because of what she did to gain. And, mm -hmm. and what, and I think the, the, the boldness of it all to me is not only did she get to determine how she was going to put on that theater costume, but also how she got to take it off. Like yes. even with that medium, you know, the medium article that she wrote, she got to decide when and where she was going to do that, how she was going to do it. It was almost like this posturing. I know we talked about staying upright previously, but this posturing of I'm going to stay upright. I'm not going to apologize because no one's going to accept it. I'm not going to make excuses for what I did. I'm just going to tell you what I did and you figure out how to deal with it on your own. Mm -hmm. that, that to me is beyond violent. Mm -hmm. It's beyond violent. I mean, it's, it sadly reminds me of the unapologetic mass shooter. That's like, whoever gets hit, gets hit and you figure it out as you will Bye. Mm -hmm. wait, what? That's not mm -hmm. okay. Whether it's physically portrayed or emotionally portrayed or culturally per, per, uh, portrayed that that's still not okay because look at all the collateral damage. Um, and, and I guess going back to your point of, what was the end game with this whole thing? Mm -hmm. Like what, what really were you trying to, what was your skin in the game? What were you trying to win? Um, what were you trying to acquire as a result of this? Because I, I would love to see a timeline because it does say she's an associate professor. Was it to get to associate professor? And then after that, it didn't mean much anymore. Like what was the end game? Mm -hmm. I, mm -hmm. I, I need answers. <laughs> <laughs> I, I wish I could just call her up and say, look, what were you thinking? Really? What were you right. thinking? And right. so I'm, I'm anxious to see, and, and this also has me kind of torn as well. I want answers as someone who likes resolution. Um, I want answers, but yet I still don't want any more highlight put on her than already mm -hmm. has been gained. So mm -hmm. like even with um, some of the, the awards, she was a finalist for many different awards um, for her writing and so forth. I'm like enough already. You know, I don't think she should get any more than what she's already gotten, but we still, I guess it's human nature maybe to just seek out the, the resolution for why, 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 why. Yeah, and I, I really appreciate your point about the violence. I think we sometimes too narrowly conceptualize what violence is as in being only mm. physical, right? But mm -hmm. the, emo the emotional that harm, harm that was done um, is, is a violence, right? Particularly mm -hmm. on groups who experience um, mm -hmm. discrimination, marginalization, oppression, verbally, physically, um, Mm -hmm. over covert right daily to then yeah. have this person that perhaps was a mentor that perhaps was someone that you respected have the rug pulled out from under you i mean the betrayal is just mm -hmm. extreme mm -hmm. and it is a violence and i think white people need to understand it that way yeah well and and so let's let's go this is a little bit of a rabbit trail but not really you know turning that corner of i'm trying to commiserate i'm thinking to myself what if i were a colleague of hers that had been truly convinced and thought that relationship was authentic, thought the person was authentic. And now I'm coming to find out that this person isn't who I thought they were. And what does it mean for me to now decide now we think this person is going to be fired, but let's say they're not. If we're down the same hallway or in the same building or what have you, my moral compass says that I now have to create a boundary, whether the university decides to create it or not. I need to create a boundary between you and I, which means I might have to quote unquote divorce you as a friend, as a colleague, as whatever. And even though what I thought we had was real, it's not. 
but I have to cope with the loss no matter how important it is to my own health. I still have this loss, even if it's a mm -hmm. loss of an imaginary person, it's still a loss. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, how, how do you manage that? And, you know, that trickles out into what we always try to talk about, you know, around endurance sports is that, you know, I've taken lots of hits and losses around people that I lost because we may not have had something in common, or they may not have been supportive of what I'm doing with endurance sports or what have you. A loss is a loss is a loss, I guess. Mm -hmm. um, and so, how do how do they process that as far as losing their supposed colleague how do we process losses that may not um be parallel to our um goals with you know running swimming whatever how do we even process those losses because they're still very real losses even though they might have been built upon um imaginary ideas oh that's a big question <laughs> Yeah, I don't have an answer, but <laughs> I, I don't. And I think there's a couple of things there I want to pull out. Like there's, there's, mm -hmm. there's more than a couple of things, but the two that are sticking out to me, at least initially is um, for, for communities of color, for faculty of color who are working in an environment where, you know, there aren't a significant number of associates, so tenured uh, faculty of color, there's the loss there, right? Mm -hmm. um, there's also um, the loss. Um, maybe it's not loss, but like I had mentioned, like the shame that white people, white faculty might feel that this mm. individual did what they did. Mm -hmm. And then um, thinking about, yeah, how do you respond if that individual is not fired from their job and they're still on your hallway, because I can also see that the apologists will step in. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think, and while what we're talking about here folks is a pretty egregious issue, I think it is relatable to endurance sport It is relatable to the clubs that you belong to, to the communities um, that you run with, that you swim with, that you bike with, that you, you know, a yeah. rock climb with whatever, um, mm -hmm. you know, w how does that group manage in many ways a trauma, right? This is a, this is a traumatic yes. event. Yes. And so you've got, yes, you've got loss, you've got grief, you've got um, manifestations of those feelings, anger, um, you know, I'm going to apologize to this person. You're overreacting. Mm. So there's going to be some gaslighting that probably happens. Yes, um, yes, yes. And she explicitly said that um, in her uh, coming out, you know, statement in Medium that she explicitly gaslit people. Yeah. Oh. So sad. So sad. Yeah. And uh, okay, so let's, let's play this. Let's play this forward then. So let's put this, let's situate this in a context um, that our listeners are going to understand. This is your, your triathlon club, your triathlon mm -hmm. club. There's like hundred, 150 people in your triathlon club. Um, mm -hmm. and it, it comes, uh, it, it comes out that one of the members, a white member has perhaps posted on their Facebook page or their Twitter, some racist comments or some homophobic mm -hmm. comments or something that's pretty egregious. Again, that is, a, that's a subjective term, but you know, anything that is um, demeaning or denigrating of groups in society that experience a lot of oppression and pain and harm, um, how, you know, how do you respond, right? Cause you're going to have yeah. the yeah. close, the close circle of people who know that person. And then it's going to ripple out to the rest of the club. Like, mm -hmm. so the loss, the grief, the anger, the apologizing, like, what do you think, mm -hmm. what do you think you would do? 
Oh, I, I know as a, as, as a faculty member, I would be heated. So as a person in the triathlon community, it would be, we talk a lot about cancel culture. It, that, that may be one of the few times in which I would be okay with cancel culture in a triathlon setting. Because, uh, you know, triathlon is something I choose to do. It's something I love to do. It's something that's fun to me to take me away from those faculty roles that I have to do to earn a living. Um, and I, I love those too. But triathlon is not something I have to do. It's something I choose to do. So anybody that I engage with, I choose to engage with you because I want to. I never have to. And, you know, I'm the type of person that always feels like I have a choice. Um, and so, you know, as someone in a triathlon club, I, I truly would be me personally, as far as an interpersonal relationship, that would be canceled without question. It's kind of like what you were saying before. GW has no other option but to fire. In my personal life, that would be it. That person would be fired, point blank, period. Now, the next dynamic comes in where you're having to figure out how to fire or cancel someone from an entire club or group um, because then there has to be some restoration there. So are we going to have a conversation as a tri club about this, even if it's over drinks at the bar after the bike ride, whatever, but there has to be something that happens around that because everyone can't walk away like what just happened here or um, even with folks that even the, the few apologists like you were mentioning before that might be saying, oh, well, it's not that big of a deal, you know, that beer after the bike ride explaining why it is a big deal for some it might not be for you but it is for some and this is why and so i think those dynamics can't go ignored mm -hmm. um, because it, it could possibly rip apart your entire tri club because I, mm -hmm. I know everyone's there to try but do you really want people of color in your tri club showing up wondering if you are who you say you are even as a, a legitimate you know nice white triathlete going back to that mm -hmm. again you know are we do you really want to be questioned? Because, you know, I'm trying to imagine from, again, from the white perspective, I would be offended that I'm now being lumped into a group that's possibly labeled as inauthentic. I don't have to be perfect. I don't have to be the best ally on the planet, but even that rips away at the clumsy allyship efforts that I'm doing it doesn't help anybody's cause. I mean, I, I, keep, I know I keep saying it. It doesn't help anybody's cause, mm -hmm. not even white women who she does identify with. It doesn't help anybody. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think your point about ripping the tri-club apart, I could absolutely see that happen. I mean, we've seen that happen, right? Um, mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I, I, get, I kind of come back to this um, gain and loss conversation that we had in episode one around this, you know, you have this one person um, who is, at least overtly articulated a position that is not acceptable. Um, you know, losing that one person, sh in my opinion, should not be um, a burden to lose the one person, right? Because you're putting the good of the larger tri club and you're also um, taking a value stand, right? Around what does it oh, mean yeah. to have an inclusive club and inclusive environment and there's simply mm -hmm. no place for an individual who is inauthentic um who would espouse really um harmful and hurtful positions and i think we run into here this um tired argument that is particularly put forth by white people that when we come to sport right sport is separate from our culture and so 
what that person says over here in their quote unquote personal life has no bearing on their engagement in their sporting life because we just want to try, right? We just want to run. We just want to X, Y, Z. And so those two things are separate. Um, and I definitely could see something going that way. Um, and I just think that's a, that's a really problematic way to approach a situation because you just normalize the status quo. And then the status quo is we're, you know, we're not going to take this seriously. Right. Right. Well, and you know, it's, it's kind of like, it's a, I remember another podcast I was listening to as far as um, the title was around building upon the ashes so, you know, what do you do when something is completely obliterated, ripped apart, torn up, you know, how do you rebuild? And I think that any leadership, even if they clumsily did it, I think any leadership would be trying to build upon ashes, um, a, a strong tri-club in the wake of someone being misleading for whatever reason, whether it's being misleading because of identity or someone being misleading because, you know, the money is funny or, you know, what, whatever may be going on with being misleading. Um, there's uh, of course now it the context is a little different because we're now in what black lives matter 2.0 we're in the middle of a pandemic we all have all these other contextual things that highlight what's already problematic um but i do think that it would be terrible leadership for a triathlon club or what have you to overlook the ashes that were left from someone being misleading of the entire group because then what happens is if you just let the tri-club fall apart or if you ignore the issue, then you're still centering the person. The person is still taking up space because relationships aren't the same, communication isn't the same, and the person is still taking up space. Even I don't care if they've been ostracized, you know, exercised from the group, they're still taking up this space that changes the group dynamics versus centering the tri-club and what does the tri-club need in the wake of the foolishness that's happened because they still have needs too whether that person is present or not um just like you know george washington university is going to have a whole lot of repair and recovery to do no matter what the outcome is with this professor they're still going to have a ton of work to do and you know staff psychologist you know her entire department which i believe was specifically africana studies so you know the it's the compounded issue of taking on a role that you're not a part of i think it's so fascinating and so you know there's a lot to be said of about building on those ashes because you know who wants to be distracted while they're having fun like i don't know about you all but for me if i'm distracted while i'm training or racing that literally puts my safety at risk because I may be thinking about something else and I'm not paying attention and I pass on my right instead of my left or whatever may happen because I'm distracted. Um, I think we just need to consider that, you know, what's the construction going to be in the wake of this type of pain and, you know, if someone has a a wound, we don't just leave them there and, you know, it's not like Wolverine, you know, figure out how you're going to heal yourself. No, it's, you know, there has to be a way to, um, moderate that or at least facilitate some of the healing process. So I'm not asking people to be psychologists by any stretch, but you know, how can we help people to rebuild in the midst of that loss? Yeah. And I think your point there about the wound is so important for our listeners to understand is, and particularly for our listeners who have Mm. any combination of privileged identities, right? Is that Mm -hmm. something that might feel insignificant to you or, um, it doesn't land on you negatively. 
doesn't mean that it hasn't caused a significant amount of harm to folks who are targeted by the comment or by the behavior or by the deception. Mm-hmm. Um, and there is a wound, right? Because it comes back to that violence that we talked about is that violence isn't necessarily physical, right? Mm-hmm. We've uh, mentioned microaggressions before, death by a thousand cuts, and how painful that is to have to yeah. bear that weight over and over again. And so then someone in your trusted community George Washington, Tri Club, Running Club, whatever, um, you know, it comes out yeah. that they've done this really horrible thing. Like, even if you aren't particularly affected by it, you have to understand and extend empathy and compassion mm-hmm. to people who are really wounded by it yeah. and not tell them to get over it, right? Not tell them that it's not a big deal or the person didn't mean it or you're being too sensitive or any, any number <laughs> of those things. You're, you're reminding me of this meme. I, I know I'm going to blow it, but this meme around no person ever um, became less angry when you tell them to become less angry. No one ever calmed down mm. as you were telling them to calm down. It's, it's more incensing to tell someone not to feel the way they do. And so, you know, given that, you know, once again, another point of privilege around who am I to tell someone else how to feel and understand this incident happening in the world. Mm-hmm. It's not okay for someone to say, Shauna, oh, you shouldn't feel that way about Chadwick Boseman, or Lisa, you shouldn't feel that, that shame about this professor. There, that's a point of privilege to try to tell someone, this is how you should navigate your feelings around this. So, you know, what's, it's kind of like, you know, somewhat of a Michelle Obama statement of it is what it is. You know, your, your feelings are here, now, what are we going to do to acknowledge them, to work with them? I, I don't like to use language of working through them because sometimes they just need to sit with us. Um, mm. and, and part of it is um, working with the feelings was very clear when I, I mentioned earlier around, you know, Rachel Dolezal is probably really pissed off right now because she's being drugged back into the news when she probably was trying to stay away from it. But, you know, dealing with it because, you know, many of us are still dealing with Rachel Dolezal and now we have, you know, Jessica Krug coming forward and it feels like Groundhog's Day all over again. And so sitting with feelings that we never got rid of, because if you ask anybody, you know, people still have some type of feeling around Rachel. So Rachel and Jessica compounded, we're still in this place of feeling. And how are we going to work with, work with and around, under, over, not through those feelings, we can't just wish them away or shoo them away. Um, like we sometimes try to do, Oh, you shouldn't feel that way. You know, shoo, shoo. Oh, no, there that's, it's, that's not how it works. And in fact, some of us wish we could shoo some of those feelings away because we might feel less of a burden or even less shame or less, whatever that would be welcome. You know, if we could so easily get rid of those feelings, but it's not that simple. No, it definitely isn't that simple. And I, I have this, you know, I'm keeping coming back to your points around taking up space um, and who are we centering, you know, and I think about mm-hmm. you and I having a conversation about Jessica Krug and Rachel Dolezal and, you know, in so doing, in, in some ways we're centering their experiences again. And I think that right. Jess- Jessica's letter on Medium also centered her experience. Um, mm-hmm. And I think we can, uh, in our hobbies in our athletic endeavors, we can um, sometimes center the wrong thing, right? Mm-hmm. We, we center the um, 
pain, regret of the person that's caused the harm, as opposed to centering what you're talking about, um, which is the feelings and the hurt of folks who have been harmed. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. It's kind of like, um, it makes me think a little bit about critique of news media, um, particularly in the 2016 news election cycle, where um, there was a disproportionate amount of news coverage for our current president um, to the detriment of his opponent. And I'm treading carefully in talking about this, but I, I think that there is um, there is some credibility to that, right? Like how are we providing exposure um, or the frequency with which we're providing that exposure to individuals and groups who already experience a disproportionate amount of exposure, right? Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. They already experience it. And, you know, are they finding safer spaces to deal with those experiences? Right. Like, so I've, I've been even thinking about, okay, Shauna, what can you do to help support those that have been so wounded? Because first of all, we're in a virtual space, but even if we weren't GW is down the street. I mean, I can literally hop a train and be there in less than 30 minutes. And you're right. The centering may be around what are some of those discussions that we need to have to help people heal? Um, What would those moderated discussions look like? And what would be, even that there's still some level of, I don't know if it would necessarily be centering, but there would be some tangential relationship with Jessica and those conversations, even as we're trying to heal, like you can only decenter, but so much, they're still part of, she will still be part of the reason why this circle even exists. So how do we keep the individuals, you know, whether it's this professor or someone else, how do we keep the person from dominating the narrative? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's the tough part. You know, how, yeah. I always say containing, you know, you can't necessarily get rid of certain people, but you can contain those experiences somewhat. How, how would we work to contain that? So sadly, um, I'm going to be the pessimist for like two seconds. We know of Rachel Dolezal. We know of Jessica Krug. So how can we position all the people in the wake of those two to be healthy and whole if or despite the third person comes out and does the same thing and the fourth and the fifth and et cetera, you know, ad infinitum, you know, how do we help people to keep themselves healthy? Like I only read two articles about this person and then I put it to the side. Truly. And that, and that was before we had a a conversation about her. Um, I put it to the side because I said, I need to protect where I am in a mental space as a black person as a person in the middle of Black Lives Matter 2.0, in the middle of a pandemic, working, raising kids, doing what I need to do. So even I limited how much I wanted to center this professor. Now, if if I never talk about it again, Lisa, after we hang up today, then I'm cool with it. <laughs> I've gotten it all out. But I think you have a, an important point of how how do we decentralize individuals like this and not give them power because they've already had enough power? Mm. I kind of have this image in my head of like people turning their back, right? Like um, Uh folks who are used to having their voices heard um, are, are used to it because they're given the space to be heard. Right. Mm -hmm. So one way that we can do that um, collectively. So people of all racial identities, but 
most importantly, white people can turn their backs, right? Um, mm-hmm. Metaphorically, I suppose, um, mm-hmm. and and not give give that person any more space. And I think that that's true with Jessica all the way down to your triathlon club, to your running club, to your biking club. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that's really important because this space piece, this taking up space, is it's insidious. Mm-hmm. Um, it's insidious to the detriment of communities who are not often given the space, right? Yeah. They're not given the space yeah. to feel. They're not given the space to speak because mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. the assumption that they have nothing of value to offer. Yeah, so so if you get to the point of, if you're, I'm taking your analogy another step further, that, that's what doctors do, don't we? We just beat an analogy to death, but I, I think this is a good one. Um, you know, turn standing and turning your back to someone also means that you are facing someone else. And so Mm. who are we facing, right? So if we're turning our back to the Rachel Dolezal's and the Jessica Krug's and so forth of the world or of our triathlon clubs or at our jobs, you know, even in our homes, sometimes if we're turning our back to them, that means that we need to be facing someone. So who are the someones that we're choosing to face? Yep. And even if we don't take up space, we're putting, the uh we're putting the highlight on them i i think i referred to hamilton last time i'm going to refer to it again though around i'm thinking about going back to that performance in the theater piece and there was a um revolving theater um a revolving floor on the stage where if you were the central person yes the spotlight is on you but if i'm in that circle around facing you i have my back to the audience but i'm facing you because i want Mm -hmm. the highlight on someone else and i think you know, white folks will need to think through what that means to both turn their backs to certain people, places, things, ideas, experiences, and face other people, places, things, experiences, identities. And that is um, moment to moment work. There is no checklist of, oh, I always face these folks and I always turn my back to those. But determining, you know, I shared with another person last week around this ministry of presence or ministry of absence, right? So Mm. again, who am I choosing to be present with, which then calls me to choose to be absent from many others. And so where am I making that choice? So you may be saying, like I've been seeing on all my social media for months now, especially following George Floyd's murder. Oh, I had this, had this fight with my auntie, or I had this fight with my grandfather, et cetera, or, you know, I had this hard discussion and we don't agree. And, you know, some people's holidays are going to be screwed up, you know, because they're just, you know, not agreeing on certain things. And that gives me that experience or that example that you're mentioning, Lisa, around folks are going to have to turn their backs to people, which will be extremely uncomfortable in order to face others that need a spotlight due to the violence that's been inflicted Mm -hmm. upon them for whatever reasons. Mm -hmm. Um, And, and it will feel uncomfortable because, you know, you kind of want to look over your shoulder. You want to look over your shoulder. Like I still care about those people behind me, but what are they doing? Are they okay? But this is the person that's wounded at the moment and mm-hmm. I need to focus on them. Or the, these are, these are the groups that have been wounded for all of history. Yeah. And I've spent all of my life not focusing on them. So now it's time. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a great way to wrap up our conversation today. Like, yeah. um, yeah. turning your back now it's time. Mm-hmm. Right. And mm-hmm. di- divorcing those people as hard as it might be. 
Um, because yes. they might be your best friends, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. Yeah. you know, the time is now. Yeah. And, and they're still there. And I always say there's no love loss. The love is still there, but the interaction and maybe with that back facing thing, the, the energy has now shifted to a different place. And what does that mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we, yeah. once again, don't have any answers, but lots of questions, <laughs> right? <laughs> yes. Hopefully this has been thought provoking for you all and recognizing again, that culture and politics does influence our sporting activities, right? Mm-hmm. You cannot pull the part of two. Pull the part or two, pull the two apart. <laughs> there you go. There you go. There you okay. go. Yes. Intertwined, of course. But, oh, well, I think this has been another good one, Lisa. All right. Thanks for your time, Shauna. All right. Thanks so much. Unfazed, a podcast produced by Live Feisty Media and supported by the Outspoken Women in Triathlon Summit. Edited and produced by the fabulous Lindsay Glassford. Email us at info at unfazedpodcast.com and find us on social at try to defy at Dr. Gold Speaks or at Outspoken Women in Try. I'm Lisa. I'm Shauna. Thanks for listening. Stay unfazed, folks. See you next time. <laughs>